All right, good new year? All right, bad new year? No, we're all ready. We're all ready for, uh, for 2020 to be done. Uh, where are my Buckeye fans at? You know I had to mention, you know I had to mention it. Um, I know we got a few sad, sad Michigan fans in here. Um, and, uh, and I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not at all. But uh, maybe someday, okay? Um, but uh, yeah, so far 2021 has been pretty good. I'm like, man, all we had to do was wait for the year to get, you know, now all of a sudden it's, uh, it's good. Um, hey, uh, with, this, with this morning, first Sunday of the new year, uh, we are starting a brand new series and we're calling it Borrowed Time. And, uh, and it's based off one short little uh, simple truth that we all know, but I don't think a lot of us think about it all the time. All right, so the whole series, next four weeks, we're going to be based off this. Okay, you ready? Listen in, focus. It's this. Life is short. Amen. You realize that? Life is short. I know a lot of times it doesn't feel like that, all right? But that's the honest truth. We see that all throughout, really, all throughout the Bible. In, in all honesty, our life is a lot of times like, uh, it's really like an hourglass, okay? All right, we, uh, at some point we're born, okay, our life starts, it starts ticking away. Um, our life is only going to be so long, we don't know how long it's going to be. We don't know how much, let's say, sand we have in the top part. Um, all we know is what we have in the bottom part, how much life has ticked away. But, uh, but our life... For every single one of us, our life is slowly draining, all right? Kind of a sad way to go into 2021, thinking about that. But our life is slowly draining away. Have, you, ever, you ever just like think about that? Okay, I don't think a lot of times we go throughout life going, oh, you know, life is short, life is short. I, I don't think we do that. But I think once in a while, probably almost everybody in here, we've like at least thought about it, you know, a few times in life. You, you ever think about that sometimes? Like once in a... Great while we were just like, you know, man, how, you know, something that was, uh, feels like yesterday was like 20 years ago. You're like, how was that 20 years? How has 20 years gone by? You know, we got stuff like that. Um, this, year, this past year in 2020, I don't know if it's because it was 2020 or what the deal was, but, uh, but maybe a hundred times throughout the year. So this happened like frequently, but not every day. All right. I would, um, I would be laying in bed, right, getting ready to go, and I'm trying to go to sleep, laying in the same spot at the same time as I had done 24 hours before. And, I rem- and I'm just, and what has been happening to me a lot is I'm just laying there, I'm just thinking about it, I'm like, a whole day has gone by, you know? A day that I'm not gonna ever get back. It's not like any redos, no, there's no do-overs, I can't go back and relive it. And you know, it, really what it has done for me um, is, uh, is put my life, or at least my thinking, let's say this, has given me like a sense of urgency. All right, because I start thinking about as I'm reliving the day in my mind, I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, have I accomplished anything? Did I just waste the last 24 hours? Did I just waste this last day? Because now I'm one day closer to death. You know, what's, it just gets you kind of thinking on the right track of, you know, what's my purpose or what's my goal? What am I supposed to be doing? And did I accomplish any of those things? And really, that's what I want this series to do for every single one of us as we walk outside these doors for the next four weeks is I want us to have that sense of urgency, all right, in our, in our life. See, as Christians, we're called to feel that way. We're called to feel a sense of, of urgency, knowing that we're here one day and we don't know how long we're going to be here and the next day, you know, next day we're gone. And knowing that 
And having that urgency in our life, or at least understanding that urgency, it really brings us to a question. The question that, you know, the simple question or simple truth is, is just how does that change our life? Like, what's that do for us? Right? How does that change our understanding of life? How does that change our thinking within life? You know, how does that change what we do? Right, because it should change those things. And in order to answer these questions, what we're going to do for the next few weeks, and I'm super pumped about it because, um, again, it's kind of weird. I've been thinking about this a lot lately or within the last uh, year or so. Um, and what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking in the book of 2 Timothy. Okay, it's one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It's actually technically not even a book. It's, it's, a, it's a letter. And it's written by, uh, by a guy named Paul. Okay, a lot of us, we've heard of the, you know, Apostle Paul. It's written by a guy named Paul to a guy named, guess what? Timothy, yeah. All right, and this letter, super unique. Okay, it's the, maybe one of the most unique, it's the most, by far the most unique letter that Paul writes in the New Testament. And it's because we, it's super personal, meaning we get to see a side of Paul that we haven't seen before. Right? Yeah, Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's got a lot of stuff going on in his life. When he sat down one day to pen this thing out. Uh, the year was 66 AD. Uh, Paul is writing this letter. We know from a Roman prison, a lot of times we think of a prison as, you know, he's behind bars. He's, he's got his bed. He's got, you know, his little lamp. He's writing his thing. You know, that's not how it was at all. A Roman prison, we know from, from history, it, it, these were just basically pits in the ground, okay? So there's like a pit or a cave type thing. They had bars over it. It was cold. It was wet. It was not a place where you want to spend any time. And, and Paul is chained, literally. Um, you know, he's in chains. And so as he's writing this, he's got a lot going on. His situation has gone from, has changed from bad and has gotten worse. And um, he's been arrested again. And by the way, he was arrested not because he committed some major crime or anything like that. Uh, he was arrested because literally he wouldn't shut up about this Jesus guy. Right? The government, it, you know, ticked him off. So he was arrested. We know that Paul, he's already gone through a preliminary hearing, and, uh, and it doesn't sound like that hearing went very well. And it's clear as you read throughout this letter that when Paul's writing this, it happens to be his last letter that he writes, when Paul's writing this, he's pretty sure he's not going to survive this. Okay? Like, he knows. Now, he's already made peace with it. He knows he's not going to survive. He's expecting to be executed by the Roman, Roman government soon. And, uh, and even worse than that, it's many people that he was traveling with and working with and spending time with had just completely abandoned him. And for Paul and everybody else's minds, and I'm sure Paul struggled with this and wrestled with this, you know, just everything seems to be going wrong. Right? I'm sure Paul's going, I don't understand, God, like, you want me to tell others about what, you know, you want me to spread the word and tell others about what Jesus has done and, and you have me stuck in prison. Like, why are you allowing this to happen? Or why, why did they abandon me? And why are my friends stabbing me in the back and all this kind of stuff? And so Paul, that's the context of Paul as he sits down 2,000 years ago to write this last letter to a young guy named Timothy. Timothy was a guy who Paul had poured into. He had been pouring into Timothy for years. Uh, he'd been training him and coaching him and, and really investing in him. And so now as Paul sits on death row, he sends his last words to his friend, to this guy he's been pouring into for years named Timothy, his last, his last advice. And, uh, and, and even more than that, he's asking Timothy to come hurry and see him probably before it's too late. And so the letter starts like this, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 
or sorry, 2 Timothy, there's two, all right? 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, he says, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Basically, it starts off, Paul's saying, hey, this is from Paul. All right, this is to Timothy. It's kind of the normal cultural, he's got a bunch of words in there, but the normal cultural way uh, to do a letter. He moves on to verse three. Uh, he says, I thank God. All right, he starts off this way. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, meaning I didn't do anything wrong. I'm stuck here in prison. This, you know, I haven't done anything wrong um, in God's eyes. I've done exactly what God you know, basically has, has wanted me to do. And so he says, I serve him with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. And when I constantly remember you, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. So here's Paul. He's starting off this letter. Okay, this is his last letter. Paul knows it's very, 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 very likely that Timothy is not going to be able to make it to travel there because traveling took a long time uh, before he would be executed. And, uh, and we honestly, we never know throughout history whether that happened or not, or whether he was able to, to, to get there and see Paul one last time. And so Paul knows as he's writing this down one day, he's like, hey, this is like my last shot. Right? This is my last letter. This is my last shot that I'm going to be able to, to pour into Timothy, that I get to invest in Timothy. And so there's a few things that I want him to know. And the way he begins his letters, he's saying, I just want you to know, Timothy, okay, this is from Paul. This is to you, Timothy. And he says, I want you to know, I thank God for you. I thank God for you every day. I pray for you every day. Right? I care about you. I thank God for you. I pray for you every day. And then in the next verse, he goes on to say, hey, he brings up a memory. He's like, hey, Timothy, remember the last time we saw each other? All right, we were saying goodbye. We didn't know if we were going to, be see, we were going to see each other again. We were super sad. Actually, Timothy, you were tearing up a little bit. He's like, remember that? Right, he's bringing up this, this memory. He says, man, it would do me so much good. It would bring me so much joy if I could just see you one more time. And so he makes this plea. Hey, come, you know, come see me before it's too late. In verse 5, he says, he says this. He says, I recall your sincere faith. That, by the way, Timothy, first it lived in your grandmother, Lois, and, and, and in your mother, Eunice. And now I am so convinced that it is in you. He's saying, hey, Timothy, I, I know your face real. Like, like, I don't doubt. You ever run into people, you know, maybe you got people in your life where, where they call themselves Christians, but, uh, but you're like, eh, I'm not so sure about that. It, it, we, we run into people like that. You're like, I don't know if a Christian would do that, you know? Like, that's not good or anything like that. Um, you know, we have people like that in, in our life. That, Paul's saying, hey, you're not one of those people. I don't doubt you. I am so convinced of your faith. And then what Paul does is he actually traces kind of uh, his lineage or like the roots of Timothy's faith. He's like, because remember, all right, it started in your grandmother and your mom. It started with in, your, in your grandma and your mom, and then you became a Christian. They became Christians first, and then you became a Christian. They put their, they handed their lives over to Jesus first, and then eventually you handed your lives over to Jesus. And these two ladies, like once they became a Christian, just uh, we, you know, we can deduce this just from, um, just from this verse. Well, what they start doing, right? They give their lives over to Jesus. What's one of the first things they start doing? They tell others about what Jesus has done. They hear this great news that Jesus. 
God came down to earth, lived a perfect life, died for each and every one of us for everything that we've ever done wrong. All right? And they can't hold it in. It's almost like, uh, like Christmas, like when you're a kid, you know, you get that present that you've been waiting for, that, that PlayStation, you know, some of you guys, you know, who knows what it was, but, uh, you know, that thing that you've been asking for, that Red Ryder BB gun, you know, and, uh, and you're so pumped, and like, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to tell your friends about it. Like, you can't hold it in. It's like, you, you know, you have to tell somebody that's what was going on here. Really, as Christians, when we give our lives over to Jesus, that's how we should all feel. Because we have just received the best gift ever. And you know what that gift is, right? Meaning we don't have to pay for everything that we've ever done wrong. We don't have to go to hell and pay for that. Because a righteous judge has to punish evil. Okay, that's what a right, that's right for a righteous being to do. Okay, a perfect judge. Right? So even, you know, it makes logical sense. But he paid for that for us. And so when these ladies, his grandma and his mom, they figured that out. They gave their lives over to Jesus. What they do? They told Timothy. And they poured into Timothy. They invested time and energy into him because it was important to him. See, what I've realized is that many times we get our minds off our mission. And we as Christians, we know what our mission is, right? To do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. I mean, I mean that's what matters. It's really the only thing that matters in life, the only thing that matters, you know, the only thing that we do in life that matters See, a lot of us, we lose, we lose focus on that. We don't think about it. We don't think about telling others, you know, about what Jesus has done for them and, and the most important news that they could ever hear. We don't think about it. And, and the fact is, the problem with that is we don't think about it. And then the other re- reality is that life is short. Like, time, like, slips by. You know, it keeps going. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. And so we get distracted by you know, all these little things in our life and like, you know, all these things, some, some of them are good, some of them are bad, like Ohio State winning, that's a good one, you know, and you got all this stuff that just, that just distracts us, all these less important things, and we focus on those, all these little less important things instead of our main mission, which is telling others about what Jesus has done for them so that they too can make that decision to follow Jesus. And what I've noticed is that the people we neglect to tell the good news to are so often the ones that we care about the most. Have you noticed that? That's how it is for me. I don't know. See, the people that we, we neglect to tell the good news to are often the ones that we care about the most. For some reason, I, it's like we, we, we're, we get more nervous about talking to somebody that, we're, that we care so much about, somebody that we love, than we do like, you know, than we would a stranger or someone that we just kind of know. You know, we neglect to tell the good news to the people that we care about the most, our kids, our grandkids, niece, nephew, brother, sister, mom, dad, you know, whoever it might be, our best friends, our, our coworkers that we're with every day at work. And Paul, he's, what he's trying to get Timothy to understand, what God's trying to get us to understand this morning, he's saying, hey, Lois and Eunice, your mom and your grandma, right, they didn't do that, right? They didn't forget like, they didn't put it off. They didn't think to themselves, well, you know, Timothy, 
You know, Tim, uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk to Tim tomorrow about it. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not, I don't feel ready yet today. Or, or I just don't feel like I have enough Bible knowledge to, like, to like explain it. I don't think I can explain it that well to him. And so, you know, I'll, whenever, I, whenever I gain more knowledge or I figure it out or figure out a good way to explain, you know, how to, how to you know, about what Jesus has done, then I'll, you know, then I'll talk to him. Or, or you know what, maybe when I'm older. Okay, when I'm older, that's when, I, you know, I'll be a lot better and that's when I'll be able to talk to Tim. Or, or maybe when Tim's older. When Tim's older, then I'll be able to explain that better. Or, or hey, you know, I don't want to push Tim away. I don't want to be like one of those religious nuts that comes in and is just like, is always constantly pushing him to make this decision on Jesus. They're always talking about, about Jesus. Or, or what if Tim asked me a question and I don't have an answer to it? I don't know, you know, what am I, what do I do then? It's just going to make me look bad and it's going to make, you know, make God look bad and, you know, it, I won't be able to answer them. And, and, and Paul's like, they didn't do that. Like these two ladies, they didn't, they didn't do that. He points to Timothy's example. He's like, your mom and your grandma are great examples because when they gave their lives to Jesus, they understood the importance of investing in the next generation. They understood the importance of telling others, especially the ones they cared about the most. He's trying to get Timothy to see that. He's trying to get Timothy to see the importance. He's like, look at your mom and your grandma. The only reason why you're here, the only reason why you have that faith is because they told you. So they told you the good news so that you can make that decision for yourself. In the next verse, in verse 6, he says, therefore, because of what they've done, because of that faith that I am so sure is in you, he says, I want to remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So when he's talking about the laying on of, our hand, of his hands, he's talking about a time, really a memory, that, that Timothy would have been like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And it's not like some mystical, magical thing happened where Paul was like, you know, bam, you're saved. You know, Paul can't do that. He's not God. And that's not what was going on. It's where um, Paul... In Timothy, there's a moment where Paul kind of formally recognized that Timothy was saying, yeah, I'm a Christian now, this is who I am, and I want to reach others, basically. And so uh, Paul probably put his hand on his, on his, um, on his shoulder, or on his head, or something like that, and, and prayed for him, okay? It was a moment, it was a memory that they both had. And so Paul's pointing back to that, he's like, remember when you became a Christian, like, remember when you finally let go of, of all that stuff that you're hanging on to and stopped focusing on all these little things? Remember when you started focusing on God? Remember when you gave your life over to God? Remember that faith that's in you? He's like, you got to remember, it's there. Like, it's important. It's in there. And he, he uses this word, he says, you need to rekindle it. And here in the Greek, what Paul's writing it, uh, it literally is talking about like a fire. Like that's the word that it's used for. It's like rekindling a fire. Um, and Paul's saying that, that's what you got to do. You got to kind of rekindle the fire within you. A couple months ago, uh, in, well, in this past fall, several times, uh, we had this like little fire pit in the backyard we could set up. It's not, you know, it's nothing major. Some of you guys got like sweet ones, not me. I just got this little metal thing. 
And, uh, but, uh, and we don't use it much. But one thing that I do is, uh, or the one thing that I did this past fall is I take the boys out there. I got a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and we go out and, you know, we throw some logs on. We start a little fire and just, uh, you know, just to hang out with them. And so, and they like throwing things in the fire. They, they, they will do that for like hours, just throw, find stuff and throw it in. Some stuff is good that they throw in. Some stuff they shouldn't be throwing in. Um, and I'm like, no, don't throw it. Oh, okay, it's melted already. You know, that type of thing. But uh, toys, you know, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but, uh, but they like it. And, um, and Toby, he's all about having, like, the biggest fire, right? My five-year-old, he's like, man, you, come on, we got to throw more logs in. We got to make it bigger. And this is like a little thing. Like, it's nothing much. I'm like, it's as big as, you know, the thing can handle probably. And, um, and so what will happen eventually is they get distracted. And we all, you know, we're doing stuff. We're outside in the yard or whatever. And then we'll look at it. And Toby will be the first one to notice. And uh, the fire's gone. Right? But the coals are still there. Right? So it's still hot. The coals are still there. And he'll, you know, Dad, the fire's out. We need to, you know, we need to fix up. And so what I've taught him literally in the last few months, I'm like, what you got to do is you got to get a stick. You got to start, like, you got to rekindle the thing. You know, you got to mix it up. You got to get things moving. You got to fan the flames. You got to, you know, you got to get the, it doesn't take much. You don't have to, you know, you can, you can get the thing back, going back again. That's kind of the image that Paul is trying to say here to Timothy as he's writing this in his, in his, you know, hole in the ground, is he saying, hey, Timothy, you got to understand, you got to rekindle your faith. Like, you got to rekindle that within you. And I think the reason why Paul says this is that he knows that Timothy's a lot like you and me. I think he knows that Timothy's a lot like you and me. It's not like Timothy has stopped believing in God. That's not what Paul's saying. Or, you know, Timothy, he still goes to church. He does good stuff. He, you know, he still prays. He does things. He listens to his Christian music when he's riding in the car. You know, all the, all the Christian stuff that, that we do. He posts his Christian meme on his Facebook or whatever that might be. You know, he hasn't stopped, like, living out his faith. And he's got this spiritual fire within him. Like, it's there. And it's still, you know, it's still going. And it's going fine. But what he wants for Timothy is he wants that fire to keep growing. Not just going, he wants the fire to keep growing. He doesn't want Timothy to be satisfied with the fire that he's got uh, uh, within him, with the faith that he's got within him. He wants it bigger. And so that's what Paul's trying to tell him. He's saying, hey, man, you gotta, you gotta get this, you gotta get the fire, you gotta rekindle it, you need to feed it, you need to work on it, you need to, you need to stir it up. Like, it takes work. It doesn't just happen. See, Paul gets it. Paul understands that God has given Timothy so much more potential than he's actually living out. It's really the same, you know, I think God's sending us the same message this morning as as every single one of us, myself included. You know, God God has given you so much more potential than what you're actually living out. And our problem is, some of us, maybe it's been a long time since we've rekindled that fire. Like, we're not on fire. We're just, you know, kind of going with the motion. Some of us, maybe, you know, the, we don't even have a fire. It's just like coals, and they're just wo- barely warm, you know? They're, like, it's there. Like, it exists, but, you know, it's, it's nothing. Paul's saying, man, God has given you so much more potential than what you are living out. See, a lot of us, all of us, it's, you know, to some extent, um, we wait, passively waiting for God to use us. You know, 
Like, we're willing. Like, we like that idea. We're like, yeah, you know, um, some of us, we're, uh, some people that are waiting for some dramatic spiritual experience to happen in their life. Like, man, and then I'll know. Like, like when I'll just, I know that I, someday I'll just, I'll just know that that's when I should go tell others or that's who I need to, to tell about what Jesus has done. And some of us, it's like, it's like, we feel like, man, I just need more knowledge. Like, I don't know enough about this stuff and I don't know about enough story, and I don't know enough about the Bible or about God in general, and you know, I just don't feel comfortable yet telling people about what Jesus has done for them. Or, or some of us, it's like, you know what, I'm willing, I, you know, I, I feel like I have a decent knowledge, or, you know, I feel like I can explain it, but, you know, I'm just waiting for God to, I'm waiting for God to bring the situation to me. Like, I don't know what's taking God so long, but, uh, you know, sure, if someone were to come up to me and say, hey, how do I become a Christian? I would totally be able to answer. I'd feel comfortable. You know, I would do it. You know, maybe not feel fully comfortable, but I would totally do it. I'd talk to them. But no one ever does. So, you know, I don't know what God's waiting on. I'm just waiting on God. I'm ready. You know, what Timothy's trying to point out is like God's saying, hey, I've already done that. Like, I've already done it. Right? Like if you're truly a Christian, meaning some point in your life, you've truly given your life over to Jesus. By the way, it doesn't happen like you just become, a, you know, it doesn't like you've always been a Christian. Okay, that's not how it works. I talk to people all the time. That's what they say. No, no, that's not what it is. At some point in your life, if you've truly made the decision to follow Jesus and to hand your life over to Jesus, which isn't everybody in this room, but if that is you and you've done that, all right, what God is telling you this morning is he's saying, hey, you already know what you need to do. Right? You already know what you need to know. You already have that knowledge. It's already on the inside. You already have what it takes to fulfill your purpose or to fulfill your mission. And what God's telling us is hey, we got to use it. Like we get, we have a mission, right? Do whatever we, you know, we got to do to reach as many people as we can for Jesus. He's saying you already got what it takes to do it. To accomplish that. Next verse. He says, for God has not, all right, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Some people, you know, a lot of you guys probably have this memorized. People, maybe you got this tattooed on your back or something sweet. I don't know. But, uh, but it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's saying, Timothy, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. See, he's like, we already know what we're supposed to do, which is reach as many people as we possibly can. And, and you know, if we think about it, like, we just take a step back for a second and just think about it. Think about what we do every day, like where you go to work, you know, what you do when you wake up in the morning, who, what, what kind of your weekly routine is. The honest fact is that every single one of us, we are presented with situation after situation after situation, right? Uh, work, school, going to the store, gas station, you know, something as simple as that. Whoever we come in vicinity of, we're always around people. Where God has given us a situation to do what we're called to do, which is to reach people, or to tell others about what Jesus has done, and, um, and, and we don't act. Like we don't, you know, most of us, all of us at points throughout our life, most, most of the time, we, we don't do it. And I think a lot of that is because of this thing called fear, which Paul mentions here. I mean, have, right, we, we've all been there. Where we feel, you know, if we're a Christian and we feel that kind of that tug on our heart where it's like, man, yeah, I should talk to that person or they're really going through stuff. I should, you know, I should pour into that person a little bit or I should uh, at least figure out where they're at with God. Like that should matter to me. You ever feel that and you kind of have that hesitation? Anybody out there? We're like, but it's awkward, 
you know? I don't know, uh, I don't want to, you know, just be weird or, you know, anything like that. You, you just kind of feel that fear within you. All right, let me just say one thing. That ain't from God. That's not from God. That feeling or that fear, that is not from God. That's from the enemy. And that's what Satan does. Right? I mean, he, he uses fear. He uses our own fear to get us to stop us in our tracks from doing what God has called us to do. Because the reality is God has given us a job to do. And he's given us a spirit, not of fear, not of like, oh, man, what will this person think of me? I don't know. You know, which, by the way, is so selfish because it's all about us. And it's not about them where they're going to spend eternity, whether that's heaven or hell. You know, if you just think about that for a second. But God has given us a job to do. And instead of a spirit of fear, he's given us a spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. Like, that's within us. And, and Satan, he convinces us to stay quiet using fear. He's like, that shouldn't happen. You know, sometimes it's not even fear. Sometimes we're just so unfocused and we're so, like, you know, out of habit that we just don't think about it. Right? This is, probably, this is for a lot of time. You know, we're all stuck in this boat, too, including myself. Just a couple weeks ago, I was at Walmart uh, getting my car, uh, getting something worked on in my car. And uh, in, you know how that is? You're, like, aimlessly walking around Walmart for, like, an hour and a half with nothing to do. You, I went through every aisle, okay, just to do it, all right? And, um, and so I'm there, and I ran into uh, a girl who, was, uh, who I was friends with in middle school, okay? I haven't seen this girl for like 20 years almost. Yikes, life is short, okay? Um, it's kind of freaking me out, 20 years almost. And uh, and so we were friends back then, and she said hi, we started talking, and, and we were talking about all kinds of stuff. Like, we are talking about me living in Green Springs, we are talking about her, her apartment, we were talking about Fremont, we were talking about, um, that's where we graduated from, we talked about um, uh, my kids, we talked about uh, doorknobs, you know, we, we went through, like, all the subjects, you know, that you have with people, and, and we are talking, and the conversation ends, and the conversation ends like, well, you know, um, it was good seeing you, have a Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah, you have a Merry Christmas, too. Okay, see ya. Good, you know, and that, and we walk away. Well, as I'm walking away, this was just a couple weeks ago, right before Christmas. As I'm walking away, man, God just, like, pounded me. It was like, okay. And I started thinking to myself, I'm like, here I am, a pastor, all right? And this was on a Monday. So I'm like, literally yesterday, I was just telling our family, our church here, that uh, how about just, you know, I was just explaining how important it was that we invite people to church, Right? Like if we're too much of a wimp and too much of a wuss to talk to people about, you know, about what Jesus has done for them, you know, share the gospel with them, if we're too scared to do that, we should at least invite them to church. It's so easy. And here I am the next day talking with this girl. I guess she's not a girl anymore. She's a woman, okay? With this woman, eesh, that's weird, and um, who I was friends with in middle school you know, who's my age, and we have a good conversation, and I just forget. I just didn't think about it. And you know what my problem was? My problem was that the fire wasn't raging inside of me like it's supposed to. Like, I'm not walking around thinking about, man, I wonder if that person's going to heaven or hell. 
You know, I wonder if that person's saved. I wonder if that person knows. Like, like it should be on the forefront of our mind. It's something that we should think about. And not just be aware of, of oh, yeah, heaven and hell is real. Yeah, you know, they, you know everybody gets their chance. You know, no, it's something that we should be thinking about. And life is short. And I don't know if I'll ever, you know, to be honest, I might not see her for, you know, for 30 years. Maybe never. That may have been my last chance. I may have been her, the only Christian that she'll be in, like, real, that she'll have a conversation with for, like, the next year or two. You know, I don't know. And I just wasted it. Because the fire wasn't raging inside of me. It, it, something I wasn't thinking about. Like where she ends up, heaven or hell, it should matter to me. And it didn't matter enough for me to even think about. See, that's how it is for all of us. Like we got people in our lives who, let's be honest, are on the path to hell. I'm not saying that to be a jerk. I'm not saying that to, to scare anybody. I'm, I'm saying that's what Jesus said. I'm not making this up. Jesus talked about hell a lot. It's a real place. It's a place we don't want to think about. It's so bad that we're like, we, you know, we kind of shut that door like, I don't want to think about that. But Jesus is like, no, this is real. And Paul is trying to get Timothy to understand this. Actually, in the next verse, he says, so Timothy, this is what I want you to do. Okay, here's my advice, all right? He says, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. He says, don't be ashamed of what Jesus has done. Jesus dying on a cross. Do not be ashamed of that because that means everything. And don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Right? Instead, sharing the suffering of the gospel, relying in the power of God. By the way, everything about this book, everything that, that Paul is trying to get Timothy to understand, it all revolves around this word, the gospel. You know what that means? Okay, so we got people who are new Christians in here, and, you know, that's a super churchy word. The gospel, it literally only means good news. All right, that's what the word was used for. Hey, that's good news. All right, I'm going to have pizza for lunch. That's good news, right? That's, yeah, but this, 2,000 years ago, this became um, even more important, or, or this, this word kind of shifted a little bit, where it became the good news. Like when Jesus died on the cross and they had this, you know, this was great news for all people which we know about. And, um, and so the Christians early on, they're like, I don't know, what do we call this thing? Let's just, they're super creative. And so they were like, let's just call it the good news, right? That's what it means. And so that's what Paul's pointing back to. He's like, hey, you know, th th his prisoner, or he says, instead, you need to share in suffering for this good news that Jesus, of what Jesus has done for us, relying on the power of God, which God has already put in us. It's the spirit that, that he was talking about, the verse before. See, everything revolves around the gospel. It's so hard for us, 2,000 years later, to really understand how embarrassing, or how embarrassing the culture thought it was to follow a crucified Savior. See, back then, Jews, they viewed uh, someone who hung on a tree or someone who was crucified as specially cursed by God. Okay, super, super, super bad thing. And then the Romans, they viewed uh, being crucified as that was something reserved for like slaves, all right, like the lowest class in society, for like the lowest of low people. Actually, it was, in, it was illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified. So that was the, like the lowest class, just a shameful, shameful thing. And then Christians come along and Jesus dies on the cross and they're like, hey, that guy who, who died, that's my God. Like that's my Savior. And so the culture viewed a crucified God as really ridiculous. And one of the ways we know this is through archaeology. And, and the ancient people used to do graffiti, which would take a long time because they were like etching it and stuff. Um, but, uh, but anyway, they, uh, we have graffiti of, 
of people making fun of, of Christians. And this is just one example, all right? And uh, there's a better picture that kind of outlines it a little bit more. It looks like one of my son's drawings. Um, but uh, anyway, this is a guy named Alex Zamenos right here. And uh, he's worshiping, they drew a picture of Jesus with a donkey head, okay? So they're making fun of Jesus here, and they're making fun of the guy who's worshiping Jesus. And the words here literally say, um, they say, Alexamenos worships his God. <laughs> so funny. And this picture, this guy's basically whoever did this, they're like, hey, your God is weak. Like, your God is lame. Your God is a loser. Hey, he's crucified. See, Paul's saying this is kind of the situation that was going on in their culture for Timothy and Paul. And Paul's looking at that, and he's like, he's like, hey, Timothy, do not be ashamed of that, of this great, wonderful, you know, perfect news. You know, instead of, of finding shame in that, instead of being ashamed of it, you know, we should find joy because Jesus died for us. I mean, look at Paul, right? Paul's sitting in prison. He's on death row. He's been forgotten. He's been stabbed in the back by his friends. He's been abandoned by many. I mean, out of all people at that moment in time, like, like Paul is considered a loser, okay, by the culture around him. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you don't understand. Do not be ashamed. I'm doing this for God, not for myself. Next verse. He says, he, meaning Jesus, has saved us and he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, right? Seems like this always makes our way into a message. I feel like I talk about this all the time, all right? We don't get saved. We don't become a Christian because we do good stuff, all right? Paul, Jesus talked about it a lot. Paul talks about it a lot. It's all over the New Testament. Here it is once again. He's like, we didn't get saved because, you know, according to our works, meaning God didn't look at us and go, oh, man, I'm so impressed with you guys. You guys are so good. I'm going to come down and I'm going to die for you. You know, that's not how it went, okay? He's saying, he's saying um, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. See, I feel like as I look at this and I read this verse, it's like I can, I feel like I can try to explain the words, but I don't feel like I can fully explain the thought here because it's so big. He's saying God has an eternal purpose. He's got an eternal plan. And those people that he called Christians or those people that are truly Christians, all right, which is probably most of us in here, he's saying, guess what? You're part of that plan. Right? This plan and this grace has been given to you, not just like, oh, you know, when you were born or whatever. No, this was given to you before time began. Like before time, before the world even existed, here's God saying, hey, I'm going to show you grace, and I'm going to show you grace, and you, and you, and you, and you. And he's saying, I'm going to use you, and you, and you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you. And Paul is trying to desperately get Timothy, he wants Timothy to understand this. And again, this is Paul's last words. And we see this really throughout his whole letter. This whole letter, we see Paul doing exactly what he had done for years, which is pouring into Timothy. He, Paul didn't just go to Timothy and say, hey, this is what Jesus has done for you. And Timothy's like, oh, great. Okay, I think I'll become a Christian. He prays a prayer, gives his life over to Jesus. And then Paul's like, okay, you're good. See you later. That's not how it went. He didn't just explain the good news and then was done. He's been pushing him and pushing him and pushing him to grow in his faith, pouring into the next generation, pouring into someone that he could, you know, in a sense, pass the baton to. It's the same thing that Timothy's mom had done. It's the same thing that Timothy's grandma had done. And really, the question that I want us to ask ourselves, 
this morning, really quick, is who are you pouring into? Like, who are you, as a Christian, pouring into? Who are you investing in? How are you training up the next generation? Now, parents, let me just throw out this real quick, all right? Your kids are the most important people that you need to be investing into, okay? And I think naturally it kind of rolls off. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking spiritually here. Yeah, we all want our kids to be successful in life, and we want them to work, be hard workers and to get good jobs and stand up for what's right and be respectful to other people, you know, and all that type of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about, although obviously that's part of it and that's good stuff, right? But we as parents, it's our main job, right? Our main job is to pour into our kids spiritually, like we need to, it should, it should really matter to us and we should really care. We truly love them. We should really care about where they end up for eternity. Like that's the most important thing. And it almost, it really boggles my mind sometimes how, you know, we, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody or anything, but we have people in here that are, you know, great members of our church and, and you know, uh, spiritually mature people, but uh, parents, but they don't bring their kids to church. Man, that's like your most important thing. Well, I don't want to push them away. No, bring them to church. Pour into them. Do something. This isn't some passive thing, all right? It takes action. It's going to take a little work. All right, if they're they're teenagers, get them here to fuse on Sunday nights. All right, it's good for them to be here on a whole bunch of different levels. All right, we've got, uh, same thing, teenagers. There's a, we got a, a winter weekend coming up. Right? Invest a little bit, not into their sports. We do that a lot. Not into their grades. You know, we do that a lot. Invest a little bit into their spirituality, into their relationship with their God, with their creator. That's the most important thing that we as parents need to do. And so our question is, you know, is, is that what we're about? Like, is that, that, that's our purpose. And I was just on Facebook just the other day, and I hate Facebook, not a fan of Facebook, rarely ever get on. And uh, I was reading something and someone had posted something that said, um, went along the lines of, uh, what's, our pur- what's your purpose in life? Like, as if we all have different purposes and stuff like that. And a bunch of people answered kind of the same thing. They said, well, you know, I just want to make the world a better place. And that sounds good and all, you know, surface level. But if you just dig just underneath the surface of that, you know, it's like, who decides what's better? Is it you? Is it me? Is it the next guy? You know, it ends up being the person who's, you know, who says it, and that might be different for somebody else. And, you know, it's just a mess. See, God has given, has, has a purpose for us that's so much bigger, that has eternal significance. And we're literally having a hell way in the balance for individual people in our life for eternity. And it should matter to us where people are going. I remember in high school, this was the summer before my senior year, I read a book my youth pastor gave me to read, and I hate reading. <laughs> and so I read most of it, probably. But uh, right at the beginning, <laughs> there was this little poem, and probably a lot of you guys have heard this before, but this really stuck out to me as a high schooler. It went like this. It says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for God will last. As a high schooler, you know, I'm not thinking super deep or anything, but that really stuck out to me because I'm like, okay, what am I all about in this life? Like, I'm all about, you know, starting 
you know, being a varsity, starting. I'm all about, um, you know, I'm going to do this for my truck or I'm going to, um, you know, I, w- I want to get a good job. I want to make some money. I want to get decent grades. I want to get in the school that I want to get into. You know, all this stuff. That was important to me. And I think it's easy for us to look back as, as like a high schooler because I think they're all kind of similar. And it's like, you know, yeah, you know, they, um, you know, that, that's, that's all kind of stupid. None of that really matters that much. But see, here today as, as adults and grownups, like we do the same thing. Right, it's all about our house, our 401k. You know, some of us is maybe a little more noble. Like I want to leave a good inheritance to my kids and my, you know, my children. Or I just want a good reputation. I want to be a community leader. And, and, you know, we're doing the same thing. All these little things that we, that we, you know, that we view as our purpose in life. But the honest truth is we only get one pass at life. That's all. So whenever this runs out, just one. And God gave you a purpose. He gave you a job. And he didn't just give you a job and say, hey, go ahead, good luck. No, he gave us a spirit of power and love and sound judgment that he has put within us to help us accomplish that job. And so some of us here today, really all of us, we need to rekindle that fire that's within us because that hasn't been rekindled for a long time. We need to feel that urgency again. Because life is short. Let's pray. God, we um, come to you and we ask you, God, we beg you, help us to feel the urgency. Not only is life short, but you have given us a purpose and you've given us a, a mission. Help us to accomplish that. Help us to do what you have called us to do. Help us to reach those that are around us. Give us the courage and the guts to talk to the people that we care about the most, figure out where they're at with you and help them push them to a decision to find you because the honest truth is we all got people all around us who are on the path to hell. And we don't think about that a lot, but that's the truth. Help us to care. Help that to bother us. God, help us to do as you've called us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.